I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap. That's Creole for something extra. Kate Doty was 24 years old when she landed on the New York Times wedding desk. It was a plum assignment for this descendant of the Mayflower, which aligned with her love of love and longtime fascination with weddings. Kate chronicles her personal quest for love and the behind-the-scenes drama of the Times wedding pages in her book, Mergers and Acquisitions, or Everything I Know About Love I Learned from the Wedding Pages. Writing the wedding announcements was just part of the nearly 15 years Kate worked at the New York Times. She was also a presidential campaign reporter and a senior staff editor on the food desk. And author Kate Doty joins me now from Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome to Under the Radar, Kate. Thank you so much for having me, Callie. Well, I'm delighted. Who wouldn't love this fun book? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, I think people may be surprised to know that the Times started publishing wedding announcements in 1851. So that's uh, quite a long run at this. Well, it just it's just amazing to me. And, and of course, it comes through in the book about how wedding announcements and people's weddings just continued to captivate us. And I mean, from time almost immemorial. But yes, the first one was in 1851. And it was like a six line announcement. And I couldn't tell you whether it was paid for or not. But the fact is, it was there. And someone, you know, presumably a lot of people read about it. And since then, I tell you, it's become a huge status symbol. And I'm going to say that there was no better confirmation of that than in this clip from the television show Sex in the City. And Sunday is the one day a week you get the single woman sports pages, the New York Times wedding section. This is so depressing. The oldest woman on this page is 27. I don't want to hear that. Now I'm all depressed and I haven't even had my coffee yet. Until recently, the bride, 24, worked as an account supervisor at Ogilvy and Mather, 24. Okay, honey, no more reading aloud. It's amazing how upset women can get over the marital status of strangers. Now, Kate, I happen to know how you feel about Sex in the City, the show that you said <laughs> shall not be named. But yet, uh, this is pop culture confirmation of the importance of the New York Times wedding pages, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, in a couple of seasons later, Charlotte got, remember the, the episode yep. where Charlotte, and, she got, and didn't she have the ink splotch on her face that kind of made it yeah. look like Hitler's mustache? That is correct. So there, oh. <laughs> actually yes. the, the pages made it into uh, several uh, scenes on the Sex and the City uh, series. So, so there you have it. But here's the thing. You have been a longtime lover of wedding traditions. You're from the South, as I am. So I am the only one that knows up here that you must have Jordan almonds at the reception. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, where do you think your interest in weddings came from? Well, I grew up around a lot of women. My mom is one of five girls. Um, My dad has four or had four stepsisters. I've just always been surrounded by women. And I'm not saying that weddings are are uniquely feminine pursuit, but I mean, I I think we all sort of understand the reality. And I understood from a very early age that they were something, they were a huge marker in a woman's life. And coming of age, um, I understood that that was something that I was supposed to want to do. Now, of course, I detail in the book, and you know, it took me a long time to get to actually where I wanted to to have a wedding and, and more importantly, be married. 
But yeah, I think it might have even come just from like playing with my dolls growing up, dressing them up in wedding dresses. But the real part was uh, one thing that really was a catalyst, I think, was um, that I spent a lot of time at my grandmother's house when I was little and my mother's wedding dress and veil hung in the guest room closet. And, uh, you know, my grandparents were sort of our de facto babysitters. So I spent a lot of time over there and I spent a lot of time playing with my mother's wedding dress and putting her veil on. And she had this box. It was from one of the old department stores and it was full of the detritus from their wedding. You know, her wedding announcement, my dad's old boutonniere, some flowers from her bouquet. And it just helped me imagine what life could be like if you had a wedding. It, it felt like a passport to something or, or a door into a life, I suppose. And also, I just loved really pretty, frilly things, too. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it is sort of, you know, it, it all created this, this um, impression that weddings were amazing and important, and I loved them and wanted to be a part of them. Well, why do you think people are so excited about the announcement and particularly about these pages, the New York Times pages? Well, I, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head when they are when you said they're incredibly exclusive. I mean, and they're even more ex- more exclusive now, although for different reasons. We like to have windows into people's lives. You know, I mean, that's one reason why social media is <laughs> sort of taken off is that we willingly allow people glimpses into our lives. Now, the glimpses that we allow people are are clearly sometimes they can be the, the cleanest, uh, uh, least profane glimpses into our lives possible. But those, uh, the wedding announcements are sort of the, the beginning of all of that. You are putting yourself out there, and you were saying. I am getting married, and he, by the way, here are 10 facts about me, the most important things that I think you need to know, and by proxy, the things that the New York Times thinks that you need to know about me, and also, it's just good fun. It, just like um, the women said in Sex and the City, you know, you love hearing about what people, what women in particular used to do before they got married, although less so now. It also shows, you, these patients in particular show you how families join um join together, they join their bank accounts, they join their investments, they join their aspirations together. Um, every So much about America, the good and the bad, you find on these pages. And I think that's one reason why people find them so fascinating. Mergers and acquisitions, as you say in your title. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I mentioned you were quite young when you started on these pages, low on the rung in terms of the New York Times hierarchy, but this was quite a plum assignment and wide-eyed about love. The second part of the book is what I know about love I learned from the wedding pages. So from the beginning of being on the desk toward to, let's say, the end of your time there, what did you learn? So when I joined the wedding's desk, I had been uh, dating uh, a man who I had dated uh, throughout the latter part of college, and we were at the tail end of our relationship. And the signs were clearly there, as I detail in the book, that this was not the relationship for us. But right uh, the first summer I joined the desk, I befriended and started hanging out with and then started dating the man who would eventually become my husband. And so, and who still is my husband, thank goodness. Um, So when I was talking to these couples, it was interesting. You talk to them during the most, some of the most fraught periods in their life. And so you, these people, especially the women would open up to you about their future spouses, if you ask the right questions. And by asking these simple questions, it helped me understand how these people had decided that this person was the person they wanted to wake up next to every day for 
if not the rest of their lives, then you know at least a significant chunk of their their future mornings. But what I learned is, I think it's complicated. I learned the most important thing I learned is that the marriage is the most important thing. But the day after your wedding is the most important. It's not the day of. Mm. But that's one thing that I always carry with me. And when people ask my advice, which is infrequent, don't ask my advice. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. Um, that's the one thing I will say about weddings is just remember how you're going to feel the day after. Mm. Well, you have many juicy details about how one gets on the page, if you will, and or in the pages and mm-hmm. uh, the process, which was really quite eye opening to me. I love your colorful anecdotes about some of the people you wrote up for the pages. You've protected their identity with some colorful pseudonyms. The pretty well-known <laughs> a-hole, the woman who wanted to save the world, the junior Harris um, and the feminist and the professor. You seemed in some ways in awe of some of these people, but at the same time, you had a job to do. So tell us about just doing the job you have to do, which, by the way, is like a detective. I Mm -hmm. I was stunned by this. Matter of fact, why don't you read a segment from your book about your having to call and confirm the details? Just to set it up, you can say who you are. (laughs) I graduated from Yale but the Times does not believe you unless you have documentation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I wondered how on earth Mitzi and her fiance, Trey, had made the cut this week. Mitzi sighed. M-I-T. Did you get that? Z-I, she said, simply exhausted by the effort it took to talk to me. I imagined her doing this call in her manicurist chair while a masked Korean woman scrubbed at her gel polish and spoke unsparingly of Mitzi to the other manicurists. Thank you so much, I said. We moved on to other details. Her age, her relatively short academic career, her title at the real estate office. I am an assistant vice president. Yes, and you have that title because you work as a real estate agent? Silence. Yes, but my card says assistant vice president. I ticked off the facts that needed checking on the paper scrawl over with Ira's red felt pen. Famous in some fashion? He'd scrawled next to a few names on the submission. Direct descendant, what proof can he provide? Adding multiple question marks on a keyboard is one thing, but to actually write them out takes commitment to the craft. The thing that had gotten Missy and Trey into the pages that week was not who they were, but who their people were. The original submission included five lines about the bride herself and 15 about her parents and ancestors. Same thing with the groom, who was a first year associate with a fancy law firm that showed up in the, in the news pages frequently. It also included an engagement photo in which the pair were wearing matching camel hair coats with a single Burberry scarf wrapped around their necks. For what Scottish cashmere has joined together, let no man put asunder. That's my guest, author Kate Doty. She is the author of Mergers and Acquisitions, or Everything I Know About Love, I Learned from the Wedding Pages. So another eye-opening detail for me you don't get on the page randomly. <laughs> I just figured people <laughs> sent their stuff in and you all looked it over and, you know, kind of randomly picked out. So it's not random. You do better if you have some highbrow social connections. You do worse if you are a couple that's a person of color and or gay and middle income with none of the family connections, as as you said. So it really is kind of a an interesting sorting of the people who some people might say are already at the top, but but it's not even quite that dead on. Add something to this, if you would. Well, you know, it's interesting because 
Yes, I would say for sure that the people who are already winners in our society were far more apt to get into the pages. You know, if you'd gone to Harvard, if your father or family had donated a ton of money to, I don't know, let's say the New York Public Library, you know, that sort of thing. But I have to say, there's a new weddings editor, and she has really changed the shape and of the pages. I mean, there are no more announcements. They're all called mini vows now, which are stories. And the people that she selected are way more diverse. They're far more diverse um, economically, socially, ethnically, different types of relationships are being written about in the pages. And so the way I knew the announcements and the way that I think we traditionally think about the New York Times wedding announcements has really been turned on its head. And part of it is because of who the weddings editor is now, but partly it's because their weddings missions dropped off at the beginning of the pandemic, because of course, everybody was canceling their weddings. And so I think that they may have had time to think about who they really wanted to include in the pages and how they could um, turn the pages on their heads a bit and how they could make them more diverse and how they could make them reflect more of America as, you know, we hope that it is and that we know that it is. But yes, um, when I was writing the pages, it was absolutely where you went to school. If you worked on Capitol Hill, that was a big plus. The editor at the time loved public service, but rarely were you going to see two firefighters in the pages, you know, or, mm-hmm. or two, I don't know, home ec teachers <laughs> um, or something like that. So interesting. I, I have to say, as a woman of color, I really appreciated your clear-eyed and frank observations about that that time as you've described it about um, how privilege privileged many people, but also how it squeezed off a lot of other people on the page. And when I thought about it as I was reading your book, I realized it was almost akin to what a lot of Black people had used to do when they saw somebody on TV and they run and tell everybody in the family, ah, Black person on TV. So, you know, as I have known the pages, because I don't read them regularly, someone would send me, you know, a note and say, guess what? Someone says, look at the page. Somebody's on the page. So it was interesting that I knew intuitively there weren't a lot, but I wasn't paying close attention because it was not regular reading for me. (laughs) I I think it's, (laughs) you know, it's funny. Um, I've received a fair amount of criticism for speaking, uh, hopefully as frankly as I could possibly, I could have been about that particular subject. I mean, I think it's really important to do. And someone said, oh, you know, this book feels, uh, you know, she feels like she's, she's being woke, which first of all, I've never said that in my life. And second of all, I think that especially now you have to look at the pages through the, through that lens. You know, one of the things you're taught in journalism school, or at least one of the things that I um, absorbed when I was in journalism school was who is not in the story? You know, like where, who are the voices that are not there? And I think looking at the pages, we knew (laughs) the voices that weren't there. Um, And so I felt it was really important. I felt if I didn't talk about it, then I was excluding voices. Hmm. And that was deeply unfair. Well, I appreciated it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that more than you know. Um, So I was really fascinated by um, just in those moments, it wasn't long time that you necessarily spent on the phone with the people that you had to, in fact, interview and help to document, fact check all of their stuff. But you really, in, in some instances, developed a kind of relationship that stayed with you and that you have long thought over the years since you left the pages of going back and checking to see what happened to some of the people that you interviewed for the pages. Tell us, what happened? 
<laughs> well, all of the people I wrote about in the book, of course, they're they're completely blinded. And I spent a ton of time on the phone with the legal team at Penguin Random House, making sure that we weren't going to get sued. But I did check up on these people. I mean, and thank goodness for Google in that respect. It's easy to find them. One couple I wrote about who I was, they got married. They had only known each other for a, a few months, max. And I wrote a vows about them. And I remember I wrote about this in the book. I came home to my apartment and told my roommates about it. And one of my roommates who's still, still with your friends said, there's no way that that's, that marriage is going to last like a week. They're still together. <laughs> They've been married 16 years. Uh, um, and they seem just, you know, of course, according to Instagram, which of course is filtered, they seem just as happy now as they were 16 years ago when they said, I do. The feminist and the professor are still together. I know that. Um, she's a pretty uh, well-known person, so she's easy to check up on. Sometimes I do tend to I go down the Google rabbit hole, though, and, and see, well, this person has moved law firms and her spouse is across the country, so what does that mean? Um, there are some couples who you talk to them the week before their wedding, and you would think, uh, this is not going to last. And I was always surprised by the people who... I was wrong about, I mean, of course you're, you're always surprised when you're wrong, Mm -hmm. but um, uh, there was one couple in particular, the woman worked in the white house and she was marrying this um, pretty high powered lobbyist. And the uh, conversation I had with her that really stuck out in my brain was she had indicated that he really wanted kids and she did not. And, you know, every marriage counselor, every priest rabbi in the world will tell you, you should probably settle that question before you get married. But I remember thinking, oh, and as far as I can tell, uh, they are no longer together. And I don't think it lasted very long because I think that he wanted kids pretty immediately. And I mean, you know, that was that. That was that. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) One couple I wrote about seemed completely perfect. And they ended up getting married and they had four kids and then they got divorced when the fourth was, I think, about four months old. Mm. Um, and she's since remarried and seems to be very happy. So, you, you know, <laughs> my intuition about who was a perfect match and who wasn't was, you know, was about 50-50 on the spot, I think. But it's, it was always, it still is interesting to me to check in on these people. And, you know, as I wrote in the book, it was before I got married, I checked in on them because I wanted to know that we were capable, you know, that the humans are, are really capable of, of long-term romantic love. And I wanted to make sure that these people fit, in, fit into that category. But of course, you know, I've been married for 11 and a half years now, and I have my own confirmation of that. So I, I check in on them more now just because I'm nosy. Than yes. <laughs> well, I don't believe in giving away everything in the book. Otherwise, I would let people uh, know that there is one couple of some note that they're unmasked at the end. And it was a really tender story about them, both when you interviewed them and then what happened to them afterwards. So you just have to get the book and find out who that is. (laughs) (laughs) But in the meantime, I wanted to uh, pick up on something you mentioned in your book, which is that you have noticed that there was a, uh, there has been a great excitement about announcements in general, wedding announcements in general, particularly on social media. So I wonder, as you look at that trend now, what does that say to you? And do you see a time when maybe the time's place in the world of wedding announcements is supplanted? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think I already, I I truly do see that. I had several people email me, uh, several, several readers email me 
couple of months ago and asked, what happened to the announcements? And, you know, I, I don't really have an in, the inside scoop or did not have it um, until fairly recently that, there are, that the announcements are turning into mini vows. But I think the fact that you don't need the New York Times to announce your wedding. I mean, no one ever did. Right. But anyway, to get the attention that you want your wedding to have, that you want your union to have, you don't need the New York Times. You need social media. And I think the Times will always hold a place for a certain section of society. And I hope through the new wedding editor's efforts, her name is Sharana Alexander, by the way, I hope through her efforts, it finds a place in a broader section of society who look toward the Times to, to read about announcements. But I think there will be a time when the Times will print, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 really great little stories. And then that will be it. That'll be it. Everybody else will be left to their wedding websites and Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and however else they want to talk to the world about their wedding. Because if you look at people online at um, wedding influencers, I didn't really go down. Thank goodness wedding influencers not, were not around really when I got married because Oh my God, just, just it, the the confusion it would have created in my head. But, you know, I took, I dug around in that world a lot when I was writing the book and those people have broader audiences, much larger than the New York times ever, you know, ever and in the future. And so I absolutely see a time when that sort of a, a life announcement too, because I, I frankly would love to see divorce announcements. To be perfectly honest. You know? <laughs> well, that's, that's a note for a wedding book. Okay. But I, because I do think that, first of all, you know, I think that we are as a society, I hope that we are coming to accept these markers as just part of life. Divorce is just part of life, you know? Um, it is, it is a time to move on to something else for two or two people. And so at any rate, but the, I see people now announcing the divorces or announcing the ends of the relationships on social media. And I think, well, geez. So if that's the case, if people feel comfortable enough talking about that on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, whatever the new platform is going to be, then I see no reason why all wedding announcements wouldn't shift in that direction. Okay. Final question. You mentioned earlier that you met and subsequently married a fellow Times reporter, been married for 11 years. And I just want the audience to know that your wedding was announced in the Times. <laughs> well, how'd, of course it was. <laughs> well, how'd you feel about it <laughs> now looking back? <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is. Well, you know, until I wrote this book, it was the first thing that came up when you when I was Googled. At the time when I wrote it up and gave it to Ira, the, the editor who in real life was a wonderful man named Bob Woolitz, I had a pretty clear-eyed view about what this what this was. You know, I, I am a white woman who grew up in the South on the edge of, of pretty significant privilege. I knew that this was just one more marker of privilege, but I also looked at it with such, I didn't have any reverence about it, I guess. Um, just because, I, you know, I knew how the sausage was made I knew the personalities of so many of these people who had their wedding announcements in there. And I have to say, my husband and I, we were sort of, we were a little bit on the fence about it, whether we should do it or not. But, but then I thought, why, why would I not do it? it, it it's funny. It's funny to me. And that picture that goes along with it just confirms how we really felt about it. Cause it's, a, it's a completely silly picture of me 
I, um, the photographer who was taking our, our picture is a, a dear friend. And I, you know, of course I hate being in front of the camera and he was joking to kind of get me to loosen up. And he said something and I started laughing and my husband has this look of surprise on his face and he took the picture and that's the picture that the wedding's editor chose. And so that, that's kind of how I felt. That's kind of how we felt about it. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Kate Doty. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I appreciate it. Kate Doty is a former writer and editor at the New York Times and the author of Mergers and Acquisitions, or Everything I Know About Love, I Learned from the Wedding Pages. Well, that's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. We're on the web at wgbh.org, news under the radar with Callie Crossley, and available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubele and engineered by Dave Goodman. Sarah Kaplan is our intern. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.